You're listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast with me, Nathan Johnson, and my co-hosts, Carl Kaczynski and Rami Bassi. We hope you enjoy the show. We've got to do some kind of sound effects, you know, just to start the podcast like three, two, one, go. I don't Excel. know. This is staying in. No, so, it's not joke. It's just like, you know, <laughs> just starting in like different vibration, you know. Uh, yeah okay thanks thanks Carl for the for the nice introduction into the podcast uh, today I thought we could have um, kind of a short conversation about discussion discussion boards uh, discussion forums um, I was in a webinar recently um, which had lots of academics just talking about how they could how they interact with discussion boards so it was led by um, colleagues who were discussing research um, articles and evidence in terms of how how students engage with kind of discussion boards in an online environment. Um, and I think conversations ran from anonymity through to uh, kind of what should the topics be. Um, do you, I mean, I know, I know Remy, you're um, hot on on kind of the use of some of these different tools um, and when I talk to you um, and this is something that I've had was missing as well when I talk to you about it you you kind of focus on the the amount of different ways a discussion board can be used not just I'll answer this question um, it, it can be a lot more effective yeah, so I think there are a number of different, from my perspective or my experience, I would say there's a number of different hurdles to overcome um, from the student side and the academic side and, and from the kind of education side. So from the student side, um, I guess uh, getting used to the tool, first of all, uh, in whatever platform it's in, uh, they'll be used to discussion forums. I mean, essentially, Facebook and Twitter are discussion forums. They're just threads where you post in, in, a, in a sequence one after the other or in threaded responses. Um, so then there's the kind of um, element with the students potentially that um, once they put it in there so you put your hand up in the class and you say something a bit silly it's not captured forever in a day whereas when you put it into a discussion forum it's there then isn't it I mean they can go in and edit it but I, I guess it's kind of almost it's written down it's in ink um, from the from the academic side um, I know historically uh, working in further education there might have been low uptake and we looked at some of the reasons why there might be low uptake and partly so going to the education side partly it's to do with posing good questions posing things that are going to encourage students to engage with the discussion and engage with each other um, so when you mention lots of different types of doing discussions I mean one of the things I've certainly seen more commonly and I'm sure you guys have had your own experiences is that um They'll, they'll very much be a kind of, okay, read this and answer this question or read this and summarize, uh, summarize the paper. But that's not actually a discussion. Um, that's, it, it's almost like a, a question and answer. Um, and so what's, what's the kind of uh, real call to action to the students in terms of discussion? What's, what's the kind of trigger to get students talking to each other? So a simple example of, of kind of extending that one further would be, and reply to one student's comments. 
but actually you want to go much further than that. What you want to do is encourage some kind of debate or uh, evaluation or synthesis of new information. So you, you could perhaps uh, say, read this paper and find a complementary one, explain why you've picked this paper. Uh, you're encouraging other skills from the students then. And then you can kind of get a discussion around, you know, uh, why did you pick this one paper and what do you think about your colleague picking the other paper? Do, do, do you think you would change your mind as a result of it? Have you learned anything new from theirs? So it's kind of building those triggers into the discussion that automatically uh, try and um, foster that discussion between the students. So, yeah, I guess two two points that you raised in terms of Twitter and Facebook um, being methods of communication, you're right, but are, are they not used very differently um, in, in more of a social, social scenario, which is, which is how we could potentially use um, conversations and discussions in an academic environment more socially, just to get people used to a, a different type of technology. Um, but in those, that there's a certain level of anonymity as well where you're, you're not necessarily held to account um, and I won't mention kind of maybe some Twitter accounts which have been used in the past to goad to goad people um, at, at varying levels of seniority but I mean it, it enables it enables people to be more free in kind of um, I don't know, being wrong, as you mentioned, you put your hand up in the class and you're wrong, then that just goes away. Um, whereas if it's on, on a piece of paper, people are less likely to comment. But isn't that about creating a, creating a safe, safe environment? Um, I mean, like, like, like a classroom in a sense, it's kind of cultivating that sense that no question is um, a stupid question because probably half of the people in that class may have wanted to ask that same question but just just didn't want to didn't want to put themselves out there so yeah, yeah I, this, this, oh sorry no go on uh, i was just gonna say there's quite a lot to unpick there if i so when, when i was saying about um the the students uh might be a bit scared about putting their their information is it's because they're not anonymous and I, i'm not suggesting that discussion should become a social platform i'm just saying the tool is not too dissimilar uh, but in terms of the uh, perhaps feeling a bit uh, silly when they ask a question, that's all in the design of the questions and the scaffolding of the learning. So ideally, you want to start with kind of low stakes questions in the discussions where they can start to put in small bits of information and get maybe a bit of feedback, whether that's peer feedback or academic voice. Uh, and then obviously, as they move through the course and their knowledge um, increases on the subject matter that they're studying, uh, the, the questions, the style of questions, the amount of discussion, the amount of peer-led uh, sort of uh, content increases um, rather than necessarily the academic coming in all the time. So it's, it's about making that scaffolding work for the student. And it takes time, it takes practice, and it takes iterations. It's not necessarily that you're going to get it right the first run of the course. Mm. It may be every year, the uh, every, every year the course runs, you should do a QA and see how it's worked. Sorry, Carol, I cut you off there. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to unpick, it's that kind of changing culture and especially uh, when you compare the discussion forums to, you know, classroom and campus-based learning or teaching in the, whoever is the, the school. 
and especially like you can observe that amongst lots of students that people are sometimes very afraid of asking questions but I think what it's our role as kind of educators or academic developers, instructional designers is to ensure people that it is okay to make mistakes. It is, um, you know, there are no stupid questions to be asked. Um, and it is okay to ask that, you know, in, stupid question. If, you, if you're not sure about anything, it is important for you to ask this question to clarify. And this is, the whole idea about learning, the learning is coming out of your comfort zone. If you don't understand something, you are, you need to be the first person to raise the hand and say like, look, I don't understand this. This concept is challenging me. I would like to understand it a little bit more. And it just progressed through the kind of level of analysis and you, um, and this is what the, the learning is about. It's about coming out of your comfort zone. Every I think, I think the, the, for me, there may be different feelings depending on what level you're kind of studying, because we've worked a lot on distance, masters, um, degree apprenticeships, and there's that sense of, I am a professional, I know what I'm doing, therefore I can share what I know. Whereas in an undergraduate, is that is that the same feeling? Is that the same feeling coming into some of these um, that I I know who I am, I have lots of experience of of just life in general. Well, so that this is very interesting concept, and I you know I think we would be able to spend hours just talking about this and about your transformation from being undergrad student to being like full blown professional. But that comes to, but doesn't that come to the, the kind of, I don't know, the culture changing of the culture, isn't it? Do we not have to understand the, the students to be able to in, inform and change a culture? Well, it's not about the student, it's about the, well, it is partially, but it's about the academic and it's about about the students. What are we here for, Carol? Take that soundbite and put it at the beginning of the episode before Carol's countdown. What I'm trying to say is students as professional, you know, whether this is undergrad students, postgraduate students, they are, you know, they, they enter the higher education course to gain skills, uh, knowledge, and they require guidance. And if that guidance is implemented in the instruction of the course, and if they say, okay, we provide you with the safe space in which you are not being judged if you make a mistake, and this is the part of our culture that we don't judge you, you are free to make mistakes, you are free to make errors, and we as the group or, you know, in the course, we can try to find out the right answers, you know, um, or, push move you in the good direction if, if that makes sense it's it's about bigger picture it's not only about that individual student who is coming there but it's about like bigger picture and what can we do to move uh that whole concept forward and enable that safe space yeah so uh, before i make my point i want to politically and professionally distance myself from carol's comments <laughs> i think it's most certainly about the students um no but in, in seriousness i think um the so 
this safe spaces is a really interesting idea because you spoke Nathan about anonymity in platforms like Facebook and Twitter, but actually in a professional or academic environment, you can actually create that safe space. You can set down those rules and you can moderate it. And if someone steps out of line, steps out of line is maybe not the right term, but you know, you, you can kind of bring that back under control. Whereas actually on Facebook or Twitter, you're kind of leaving yourself more open to criticism, whether, whether it's your real name or not. Um, if someone's criticizing you when you've made that comment, just because they don't know who you are, doesn't mean it's not going to hurt your feelings when they respond to you. Um, so I, I think you can look at it both ways, actually. Um, so, uh, yeah, really, really being clear about what the ground rules are. Um, and and that, that comment, I think, that Carol made about it's OK to make mistakes. It's OK to ask questions. Um, that's that's kind of what they're designed for. They're designed for that that discussion of people who don't necessarily know and they're looking for the academic voice or the peer support that will guide them into the correct area or perhaps they're, they're providing the peer support for someone else so they know a bit more and they're providing someone else. It is about sharing and collaborating. Uh, and that's how, in my opinion, how the discussions need to be designed. Yeah, I think there needs to be some work around whether that's unconscious bias, um, whether that is kind of just welfare, um, kind of online welfare or well-being. Uh, so how how we interact with some of these tools because I guess I guess that could be some life lessons that will span kind of into some of these social medias um but yeah because I guess when you Cal talk about creating that safe space that is down to one individual in a sense that is that the academic has that power has that power to make or break that kind of room um, and one bad experience, and that's it, that's it. So we're talking about changing cultures. I think we need to change it across the board. Um, and I was, I was talking earlier about, in a different conversation, um, about looking at a student's kind of whole program, looking at how they interact with some of these technologies across kind of three or four years rather than in isolation because someone could come to you and say i want to i want to do a discussion uh, maybe in a student's final year um, and that student has never interacted with a discussion before then well, it's if, if i can just interrupt there so I, obviously I've, I've done the knowledge sharing and the expert knowledge but there's another type of learning that goes on which is called vicarious learning which is basically just because just because they're not participating in the discussion actively doesn't mean they're not necessarily gaining anything from it. So, uh, so you've just mentioned about like, oh, that student hasn't participated in the discussion, but that can only be measured in terms of their contributions. They may well have been through and read every single comment and it helped them in their learning. Um, so it may be that two or three students are really taking the lead in the discussion, but those two or three students are really, really helpful for everyone else. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Carry on, carry on. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's hard to it's hard to kind of gauge whether how someone has interacted. But I'm just saying, if someone hasn't had the ability to use said tool, then thrusting a tool on them at such late stages or sporadically 
in a sense, because you, you think, okay, it's going to be a good idea to do this, whether that's quiz, whether that's discussion, whatever that looks like, um, without building those skills up throughout over a period of time. So we may talk about um, in a module and you'll have kind of an icebreaker type question or you have low stakes kind of discussions just to ease people in. I guess I'm talking about over a whole program and kind of in the first years having some of these low stakes having these discussions and um, building on to then in the final years having more in-depth kind of activities but it's been played through the whole of your education rather than just just in isolation um because i think until we get to that stage you won't change culture because like I, I mean i was mentioning it's down to the academic now if one academic or one person says well i i don't care what you say um, that's going to inform kind of your your view going forward so you'll move into something else and you think oh well well this person kind of didn't didn't respond well to to my questions or my views therefore I'm kind of on guard in this one. Um, so I think it's, it's a collaborative effort, in a sense, to, to change minds, to change cultures, rather than on an individual basis. I think it's really hard for me to create a safe space when everyone around me doesn't, doesn't have that same view. So there's scepticism on my safe space. So, so it's harder to kind of get people, win people around and kind of, get people on side. Yes, one of the examples. That, yeah, I, just, I, was, I was just going to say that I'm glad to hear that because basically this is exactly what I was saying, but maybe said in a little bit more explicit manner. Uh, one of the examples that I think I've shared with both of you before, um, although not on the podcast is, um, so you talked about raising those skills and, and perhaps I've only ever really spoken about it like in, the ter in terms of one module. But if the task is the academic wants to make sure the students read an article, there are different ways you can do that at different levels that develop student skills. So there's read the article and summarize it. That's quite a basic sort of read and understand skill if we think about Bloom. Um, there's read the article and create an abstract for it. So that, that's kind of like being able to um, maybe evaluate the important parts of that or analyze the important parts of that document. And so they're kind of moving up, up the bloom scale. And then like, so the example I was just using about finding complementary or contradictory ones, that's, that's helping their literature searching. It's helping their ability to read critically. It's helping their evaluation skills. And then with the peer review, they're synthesizing. So the task is basically read the article plus the discussion, but there are different ways you can scaffold that learning that gets more and more complicated and doesn't necessarily give the student the same task every single time, like read, summarize, read, summarize and moves them towards a stage where they feel confident that they can start peer reviewing. So another one that I do around peer review is um, read this article, summarize it, read this article, uh, evaluate it. And then there's um, grade this paper. So grading another student's paper. Um, they don't know the student, it's anonymous. They don't mind grading an anonymous student's paper but they're gradually getting used to their ability to critically read and critically evaluate papers. And then they move on to peer review because they've been stepped through that. 
Now it has, again, it has varying successes, but if you just go straight into, oh, you've got to do a peer review, that's quite scary. So I, I think it's really important how you build student, uh, students up to that stage. Um, so yeah, you can't just throw them in at the deep end with a really complicated discussion, but equally, if you give them the same simple discussion all the time, they're going to get bored and there's, there's no real act, active learning in there either. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, the good metaphor would be like, you don't ask students in the first year to write dissertation. You, you use the three years to move them towards a dissertation, towards an independent study. And I absolutely, uh, you know, I really value and I really appreciate the examples that you gave, uh, just gave about like written, evaluate, written, uh, summarize, written, write abstract and things like that, because I think this is pro this provides perfect examples how discussions can be implemented in the course because for lots of people the discussion forum and especially based on on my learning experience um, and based on a lot of the courses that I have seen so far a lot of the discussions is like yeah just you know just there you go this is your discussion forum this is your platform and you can share your thoughts but that platform actually is abstract it's not linked there is no any constructive alignment it's basically it's it's, I see it sometimes as kind of a tick box exercise, you know, oh, because the learning designers asked me to put the discussion forum. So the discussion forum is there. But I don't really care whether students are going to use it because why would I? So it's there, but it's not linked to anything. And I think coming back to Nathan's point that, you know, changing the culture and linking it to the uh, Bloom's taxonomy, linking to the constructive alignment and making that discussion relevant to the teaching that might actually spark students' interest, that might actually raise that engagement. So if I was to ask both of you kind of um, advice, advice for someone kind of looking at discussions in, in the new new landscape or just, just in general, um, what would that what would that advice be? Carol, do you wanna go or maybe? Um, well, one of the things, for example, uh, I, you know, uh, that would be good, it's just to use that framework that Rumi was saying, like, read what you do. And, you know, after synchronous or asynchronous learning, you might put the discussion forum in saying, like, ah, you know, based on that lecture, write three things that you found, like, the most shocking or that change your, um, you know, concept on specific subject. It's, it gives that focus, or as Rumi said, you know, uh, read that article or summarize the lecture that you've just listened to or watched and write 50 words or 100 words summarizing how you understood that lecture. So how, what is your personal perception uh, and how do you understand the, your own words that you know, someone is saying, and someone is is putting that material there. How do you understand? What is your internal perspective on this? That that is, that can be very interesting experience. So if you have like twenty or thirty or hundred people in discussion uh, or on the course, and hundred people are actually saying about their internal perspective on uh, the lecture that they just listened to or watched that is such a wealth of experience this is so so many different perspectives and so many different experiences and perceptions it's unbelievable it's such a huge wealth of knowledge 
and it's available to everyone in all courses. Yeah, so uh, just to reiterate, so Carol mentioned about uh, putting word limits on there. I would say if you pose smart questions, uh, so uh, I'm talking about uh, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time bound uh, questions. So tell them how many words you want them to write. Tell them when they should submit by. Tell them how many of their students they should be looking at and responding to. Encourage them to like, but also have targeted questions that provoke conversation. So you're building that in. It's not they're putting their content into the ether, but they know what they need to do, when they need to do it by, and with an engaging question that, that encourages them to speak to their peers. Yeah, and I think that's, that's something that I was gonna to touch on, is setting expectations, um, being clear. In all aspects of life, we set expectations, um, just making sure that we're clear what we want people to do and how we wanna do it. It just makes, it makes things a lot easier. Um, and that same goes with online tools. And in some respects, it, it should be more of a requirement than online tools because you don't have that face-to-face -face interaction. You don't have that, okay, go and, go and write, me, write me a post, at which point I'd go back and say, well, well, how many words do you want me to write by when? When would you want me to write that by? Um, so there's all these follow-up questions that you can have face-to-face -face that you wouldn't have online um, so it's, it, you need to just be explicit in the very kind of outset in terms of what you want so yeah setting word limits I did hear um, a response from someone saying that word limits could potentially stifle that conversation um, yeah I, I mean it, it's I, I'm not going to say it's a fair point it's, it's a valid point. However, when, with them, when they're being asked to write assignments and things like that, they have a word limit. And part of the argument is that they should be able to succinctly express their point, uh, not only uh, in terms of get, uh, understanding the literature and being able to make their argument, but then when it comes to the, like the, the fact that they're doing a discussion, um, that's their peers reading that and going through that. So no one wants to read a novel when they're going through. In fact, it will probably discourage them. So it provides guidance as to how much a student should be doing, but it also makes it a bit fairer for the other students as well, I think. Um, I mean, you don't want them to spend four hours on their discussion forum and, and, and not leave themselves enough time for the, the other learning content. Yeah, and as you said, someone's not even gonna read it read that four hours worth of content. Um, so yeah, um, I, I find this really interesting. Well, I mean, just talking about tools in isolation, um, but we, I guess we need to be clear that any of these tools aren't used in isolation. Um, they're used as kind of wider activities. They're best used as part of um, a wider, yeah, activity project. Um, to get the most out of them. So when we talk about kind of using them, it, it will be part of the learning and not necessarily the learning. Um, so yeah, just to be clear there. Um, but yeah, yeah, is there, is there anything else that anyone would like to mention, talk about, bring up that hasn't already been raised? Lots of, the, lots of thinking faces. <laughs> one of the really good ideas or um, discussions that we had earlier on, it was about the anonymity of discussions. 
and how do you approach you know uh, anonymous discussions and um i I don't know what is your kind of view on this. I feel that discussions, especially within the like um, learning environments, when you share your thoughts with uh, tutors, lecturers, and your colleagues or your fellow students, they shouldn't be anonymous. Yeah, you were you were very very passionate about about this one, um, and in yeah, I, I I agree, I agree. I mean potentially we need to work towards an environment where people understand how to kind of be respectful um, within these environments kind of in in general but yeah I think there's no real need for anonymity. I, I guess not really a question for um, digital education but what does what does anonymous mean? I don't really understand what could be guaranteed as 100% anonymous with anything that's electronic. I mean, surely their IP address would still be trackable, even if they used a VPN. Eventually, you you could track it down if you followed all the routes. Yeah, well, um, we're, uh, you're, so you're I very mean, technical. That that is a very technical response. Whereas on from the outside, I'd be like, well, you can't see my name, therefore, you can't. You can't. You don't know who I am. And and you're right. There's so many things that have happened within social media, where people have posted kind of hate messages, and have been found out and have been tracked down. Um, and there's not, it's there's not a huge emphasis on kind of okay, nothing is anonymous because I guess that would spark a whole kind of wave of I don't know outcries into I don't know um, stopping free free speech or whatever it is yeah well as nathan you mentioned that i was really passionate about that and truth i am really passionate about the you know that issue of anonymity in discussion forums for two reasons first we one of you know the main agenda for the higher education is to prepare students for labor market and as we can even now with the global pandemic of of covid19 um we have seen huge increase in number of uh, communicating, you know, communication platforms used by employers across the world. You know, um, these are Microsoft things like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, and whatever, what have you, are standards in the modern employee, you know, in the modern labor market. So we, as the higher education providers, we should be able to provide those skills and embed that etiquette and how to behave in those platforms from very beginning and uh, us you know very similar that you don't expect and you don't accept specific behavior in the classroom or in the lecture hall you don't accept specific behaviors in um, in the discussion forum on the other hand one of the arguments they've heard is like ah you know, but if you provide that anonymous platform, student will be able to share the experience or um, you know issues that they are they wouldn't be they wouldn't feel comfortable with sharing uh, sharing whilst their name is attached to it. And my argument is like if you are asking people to share experience that they are not feeling comfortable uh, to share when their name is attached to this. It's it might you know cause kind of psychological trauma. It might bring some mental stigma, you know, uh, and psychological stigma and things like that. It might be uh, taboo. 
for a lot of people. So I would say that sharing that in the discussion forum and asking people to share that in discussion forum is not really ethical. And I would say, I would argue that it might be even dangerous because you might have like underlying mental health conditions that you are not even aware of. And whilst you are you know, starting to disclose it, that might create or cause some kind of anxiety and things like that. So, and then how do you pick this up with students? How do you signpost like counseling services or well-being services to students if they are anonymous? So I would, that's, that's my argument. Of course, I might be wrong and I'm open for suggestions, uh, but that's, that's my take on it. I mean, in what other setting, I guess, uh, would anonymity be allowed in education? Like, think about face-to-face -face education. You can't, like, anonymously put your hand up and make a comment. I, I don't understand why there's a sudden need for anonymity in sort of education-based discussions. I I'm trying to think of any other example where anonymity has been a thing that's okay. Uh, I don't know, maybe a vote in a class, but you could still do that. Um, like, you People can, if you just want one activity that's anonymous, people can set up their own email addresses and email something through if they really wanted to, or, or have like a Google poll and everyone sets up their own Google account, which isn't tied to their name at all. I just, I can't really think of any kind of scenario in face-to-face -face where you need anonymity. Maybe someone may be kind enough to let us know um, if, if they have came across any kind of um, times where that anonymity is necessary. Um, but yeah, again, I, all the topics that we choose, it's like we've raised so many questions. We've answered none of them as much <laughs> as everyone. I, I, I guess you got, we've all tried to answer them, um, but there's so much depth within them. Um, we can continue these conversations um, with many other people um, and have some really good chats with them um so i guess i guess we'll leave we'll leave this one here and we'll, i'll bid you all farewell Goodbye. Bye. you've been listening to the beyond digital education podcast if you liked what you've heard please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised